Welcome to the Life Sciences WA Investment Series. Investor meets Innovator. Hosted by Dr. Tracy Wilkinson and me, Peter Birch. In this limited podcast series, we've brought together a number of conversations with experts from medical science to finance to help demystify investing in biotech, medtech, and digital health, also known as the life sciences. In the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connection to land, seas, and community. We pay respect to elders past, present, and emerging, and extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people listening today. The information in this podcast is general in nature and should not be taken as a substitute for professional or financial advice. Welcome to season two of the Life Sciences WA Investor Meets Innovator podcast. My name is Peter Birch and I'm here again with Tracy Wilkinson. G'day Tracy, how are you going? G'day Pete, I am really excited to be here again for season two. Season two, we're back at it again and we've got a range of conversations about what's happening in the life sciences space on the western side of the country and it's a great series of conversations we've got lined up in season two, right? Super amazing set of people that we're chatting to today and a real breadth of topics as well from a couple more of those like 101 style topics from impact and investing, technology transfer, if you don't know what that is, stay tuned and we go into some depth around clinical trials as well, something that everyone knows about thanks to the COVID pandemic and vaccines, but how they actually are a really important part in this sector. And then a couple of really interesting WA stories of a company that's gone global, as well as a really interesting conversation between the exec chair and founding investor and co-founder and inventor of a WA medtech startup that's you know still in the weeds of developing their product and getting to a really interesting space. And that was a pretty really interesting insight, I think, there into what it looks like on the ground in the sector. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. I love that the conversations that we have in this series are with the people, like you say, in the weeds, people that are doing the doing and, and they can share their experiences firsthand. And, you know, they're just recent experiences too, fresh on the mind and mm. providing expertise and insights that would help people answer potentially the dumb questions. They think it might be the dumb questions around. Well, that's our job, just, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we get to ask the dumb questions. So you guys don't have to. <laughs> that's right. And look, in this first episode, I got to speak to Melissa McBurney. She's partner and head of impact at Brandon Capital. And we spoke about investing with impact in the life sciences. Here it is. Hello, Melissa. How are you? Hi, Pete. I'm really well. Thank you for having me on your podcast. Great to have you on the show. Really keen to dive in, learn more about what you do, impact investing, everything in between. But first, I might give you the opportunity to introduce yourself firstly. Tell us who you are and what you do. Sure, thank you. So I am a partner with the venture capital firm Brandon Capital and Brandon Capital manages Brandon Biocatalyst, which is a life science investment fund. And I can talk a little bit about that in a minute. But the other role I've got at Brandon is I'm head of impact and I know we're going to talk a bit about impact today. So I'm excited for the opportunity. Yeah, right down your alley. That's really good. Tell us a little bit more about Brandon Capital and how that works. Yes, yeah, so it's a really unique collaboration which brings together investors. So we have some of Australia's leading superannuation funds as our investors. 
we have CSL, we have the Australian New Zealand governments, Australian state governments, and really importantly, we have more than 50 medical research institutes and research hospitals across Australia and New Zealand that are a part of that collaboration. We're often the first investor, so we work really closely with researchers and their commercialization professionals on identifying really exciting discoveries and those that we think can be developed into medical technologies, so new therapeutics, medical devices, that sort of thing. Very much geared towards the medical sector. Absolutely. We don't like to invest in things we don't understand, so we like to focus in on <laughs> where we have expertise and everyone on the investment team's got a technical background. So my background is originally in immunology. I've got a PhD in immunology. I postdoc in reproductive immunology before then heading into commercialization, working in a startup company, and then eventually that led me into venture. So I've been doing this since I joined Brandon in 2008, and then I was with another seed fund here in Adelaide before that. So I've been doing it for a while now. Yeah, definitely. And so impact investing, that's an interesting one for us to unpack. When I think about the difference between impact investing and philanthropy and angel investing, how do we set mm -hmm. the scene about what impact investing actually is? Yes. If you think of the spectrum, on one end of the spectrum, there's investing purely for financial returns. So if you consider nothing else but the money that you can make with your investing, and then right at the other end of the spectrum is philanthropy, where you're not interested in getting any money back, but it's all about supporting areas that are really important for you. And it's that impact you're creating with your funds that is the sole focus. In between is really where we have, again, a spectrum of focusing on financial returns and those impact returns. And where you sit in that spectrum is really up to the individual investors. And there is a spectrum for us. We have financial returns as the first priority, but it's not the only priority. Hmm. So we're investing people's retirement savings. We're absolutely focused on getting returns so people can have the type of retirement that they expect and the type of returns that they expect when they put their money into a superannuation fund. But through our investing, particularly, you know, as a life science investor, we're also creating other impact returns such as, you know, improvements to healthcare, better health outcomes for patients. And it does more than just provide dollars back to those super funds. And the language is really, it has been developing over the last few years because I think there is so much confusion around what it really means. So we talk about investing with impact. So it's about creating financial returns, but also creating impact returns. That makes sense to frame it that way. I can see what you mean in terms of definitely leading with that financial return in mind, but also taking into consideration these other really important factors, which I'm sure we'll dive into a little bit later in this conversation. Mm -hmm. I want to understand a little bit more about what a typical investment decision might look like as you are scouting out what's mm -hmm. available, how you balance some of these important priorities. And so it would be great if you could take me through that. We have that impact lens across all our activities. So we have it in positive screening, negative screening. When we look at a new investment, we look at, is this going to create better health outcomes, for example? And because we're a life science investor, you know, it's unusual for something not to meet that criteria. <laughs> People come and talk to us because they're interested in having their health technology funded. So usually start with a science and we're looking for really great science. And that's the really fun part of the job, going and talking to researchers about what they're doing and hearing about these amazing discoveries that they're doing. And we 
have enough expertise on the team that we can generally understand things reasonably quickly. And then we bring in external expertise if we dive down even further. So I'm used to be a specialist. I'm now a generalist. You wouldn't want me directing your immunology program anymore. You probably had a circa 20 years ago. Yeah. I have enough of that fundamental science that if I'm talking to, you know, a cell biologist, I can understand what they're doing. Yeah. But then when we go really deep, it's then bringing those genuine experts, someone who has spent 20 years in the field, knows exactly what's happening all around the world and can and provide that input into whether this is truly unique, something really groundbreaking. And that's what we're looking for, those things that are truly unique. That's the, almost the starting point. And then we sort of go from inward looking to very outward looking. And then we are then diving into th things like what's the intellectual property that they have? How does that fit in the landscape of what else is out there? Things like what will the development path look like for that technology? What will the clinical trials look like? This is right back when it's still sitting in the lab. But we're looking down the path and we're, we're exploring all of those risks. And there are many risks. As we go, so looking at what are the regulators wanting to see to approve a product like this? Who's going to pay for it? What are those reimbursement groups? What do they want to see to be able to pay for that product? And the market, what is out there? Who are the potential acquirers? We like to have an idea of those potential acquirers and what they want to see before we start funding a program to understand. And we take in all that information and then we work with the groups to build that development path to take it from where it is today, to take it to that point that a bigger fish in the food chain is going to take it on. And we're looking also at the financing risk as it goes. It's, it would be surprising if we could fund something by ourselves for that entire journey. So it's then saying, okay, well, who are the potential syndicate partners along the way? What can they bring? What do they want to see? Can we fund it to the point that it's ready for syndication? Sometimes things are ready for syndication early on. It's quite detailed. Mm. It's quite lengthy. That's really part of our responsibility looking after other people's money sure hey look to dive into that a little bit more you know you, you described it as a journey and we know that anything in life sciences takes a lot longer than other Absolutely. industries let's say yes. and so you need to take into consideration all those factors in terms of regulatory and even right down the line in terms of potential acquirers in the future i'm going to assume might be talking almost decades right like sometimes a long time how do you kind of think that far ahead so it does require patient capital. It absolutely is very time consuming, especially when you're an early stage investor, you're taking things right from the start, hopefully not decades. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that would be a really long time horizon. But absolutely, you have to bring in the experts. You have to bring in people that have run clinical trials like the one you want to do many times before and can tell you how you might be able to make it more efficient clinical trials are such a crucially important part of development. How do you make sure that you can access the right patients as efficiently as possible? So it's all about bringing in those experts so that it is as time and cash efficient as it can be. Yeah. We were talking before about we've all got our little areas of expertise. I feel like on the team we're, we're more generalists and we don't have all the answers ourselves, but we can track down the right experts to bring in the guidance that we need to have that program as efficient as possible. And then fortunately, when everything that can go right does go right, the returns are sufficient to cover off and provide a good return over those companies that unfortunately have not made it through. Yeah. It's interesting when you describe it as generalist, but it's in such a specific 
area that, you know, it, but I guess that's what's unique and great from Brandon's perspective in terms of that deep expertise in this particular area around life sciences investing, but also the ability to know when to lean on other experts and that broad network you have to be able to make those next level decisions. Yeah, it's still pretty niche, isn't it? Mm. It sure is. <laughs> and hey, furthering that niche, particularly thinking about WA as well, strong presence yes. on this side of the country, it'd be great to understand maybe a few examples of investments that you've made maybe over in Western Australia. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk more cheerfully about those that have made it through the maze yeah. of due diligence. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's tough and we do have a high bar. So Respirion Pharmaceuticals, a local WA company, which is developing technology, which came out of the Telethon Kids Institute and WA Health. And actually, I think it's a nice example you were talking about philanthropy, where philanthropy can be incredibly powerful, like the Telethon Kids Institute has developed this technology. Respirion Pharmaceuticals are developing an inhaled antibiotic for chronic lung infections for people with cystic fibrosis. And we know in cystic fibrosis, there's very high unmet need because people have airway infections that aren't clear with standard antibiotics, which then causes all sorts of problems for lung function. The founder, Dr. Barry Clements, had worked as a consultant respiratory physician at Perth Children's Hospital for over three decades and continues to and also had a really experienced drug development person involved, Matt Callahan. So what Respirin have done is they've developed an inhaled form formulation of a common antibiotic, which improves the ability of that antibiotic to kill bacteria and treat the infections. And what was really exciting about this, we see lots of antibiotics and kill a bug in a Petri dish. Mm. Was What was really excited is they used a formulation with known compounds with a very reliable safety profile. And so that allowed them to do a clinical trial reasonably promptly at the Perth Children's Hospital and Charles Gardner Hospital. And that really showed some exciting stuff. And in terms of that accessing experts, one of the things that was really exciting with Respiron is that they got endorsement from the US Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, who then backed it with US $3 million and also provided access to the clinical trial network. So it's really exciting. They're about to start some FDA-sanctioned trials in Australia and the US. And so we're all waiting with bated breath to see how that one goes. Yeah, amazing. Did you have any other examples you wanted to provide as well? The other company that I think gets some great press in WA is Oncarez Medical, which is run by the absolutely amazing Dr. Kath Giles. And in that case, it was one where it was a relatively early stage technology out of Harry Perkins Institute, UWA. Basically, what they have now is a medical device which is used in breast surgery, lumpectomy for patients that have breast cancer. And they've developed this product so it's almost like it gives surgeons a sense of feel when they're doing a lumpectomy. So it's a probe that gets used within the cavity. So they remove the tumour, use the probe in the cavity and allow surgeons to pick up if there's tumour left. Otherwise, surgeons are essentially using their finger, at least one pair of gloves. So it's almost like the super finger probe. And that started as some technology that could detect tissue stiffness. And so they sort of went from that little piece of information to building this probe that's been used by surgeons and the trials are that underway. So they worked with scientists to develop this amazing piece of technology and they've since gone on to demonstrate in clinical trials that this, firstly, that the technology can detect cancer 
And secondly, it can work within the patient, which surgeons are super excited about. And then thirdly, they've got this great, they've done a lot of work on that regulatory path and they've got the clear path to approval in Australia and the US. So they know what they need to do. They're going out and doing it. And actually, Kath's done an amazing job at building an international team around that company. And I think it's always crucial. We love looking, you know, we love it when companies have that very outward focus and we've got great science in Australia. Let's make sure that we get the right experts from around the world to support them in developing that technology. Such a good point. And even just implicit throughout what you've talked about in those two examples, I'm sure there are lots of lessons, almost recommendations for others that might be looking to whether it's getting involved in the life sciences space and raising capital or on the other side, getting involved in investing in life sciences, what to look out for. But yeah, and we can cap off those points at the end of the conversation. I want to come back to though as well, a little bit earlier, you mentioned that Brandon has quite a high bar. So I guess on the other side of that coin, thinking about what some of those deal breakers might be or some things that might call for the conversations to wind up. And you already did mention at the start too, it's that there's a few kind of set criteria even just to open the door to start to have a conversation being involved in this patient impact space. But tell me a little bit more about some of those deal breakers. There are a lot of potential deal breakers. We do have a high bar, but we're very collaborative in our approach, the fact that we're working with researchers and institutes, we try as much as possible to engage them on that process of due diligence. So in the case that we don't proceed with investment, hopefully they've got some useful insights as to why. Mm -hmm. And in some cases that can lead to the researchers maybe heading off in a slightly different direction with how they're doing their program, learn something about what's involved in developing that technology through to the market that they didn't know before. And I've certainly had that happen where researchers have taken that information, put it into a grant application to do something a bit different, and that's been successful. Sometimes that process, they might say, okay, that's great. I'm going to go for I'll go and talk to another investor, and that's fine too. But really being collaborative with that approach, hopefully it's a useful exercise because often the deal breakers are things, there might be a very large freedom to operate issue with their IP that they didn't know about. So that would be an example where they're like, okay, we've got to navigate around that. Let's go back to the drawing board. Mm. But all of those areas that we dive into in our due diligence, there's potential deal breakers all along the way. It's almost like a pin number. Unfortunately, you've got to get all of them. Yeah. (laughs) And really, I mean, we're high-risk investors. So we're not, it's not like we're looking for something that doesn't have any risks. It is our job to take on those risks. What we're looking for are which of those risks can we address? For example, if we spend time looking at the regulatory risks and understanding, because that's always at risk, you don't know whether something's going to get approved, it's, okay, we can get in the right experts to help design that program. We can get in experts who've taken something through to the regulators before. And that's a risk that we feel like we can mitigate by getting in the right people. And then there are risks that we look at and go, there is just no way around that sorry, that's a no. And it might be something like a financing risk. It may be a case of going, okay, we know that we need to be able to invest at least $100 million to get to exit and we can't do that. And we spend some time trying to find syndicate partners and maybe it's just an area that's unattractive for other investors. If there aren't any other investors, we're not going to start investing $10 million and hope that the other 90 turn up. Yeah. So it's things like that. I like what you mentioned before about 
having quite a collaborative approach through that exploratory or the due diligence process and providing feedback that potentially the organization might choose to then take a path, like a different path with the product. And if I think about it, I feel like that's quite aligned with this point around impact investing in the first place in the your experts that are in this industry and know the space. And even if potentially there's no financial return from you providing the feedback that potentially that has an impact elsewhere down the line. And if I think about then at the start too, you were talking about still financial investment upfront, but having an impact. How do you, I want to understand a little bit more about how you balance these two sometimes competing factors around having a financial return as well as having a meaningful impact in in the space. You've worked it out, Pete. (laughs) They're very complimentary. Yeah, they're very complimentary. And actually you've touched on it as well with the fact that this is a long-term business. So for us being collaborative, working closely with medical research institutes that hopefully we aim to provide benefits to those institutes with being a part of that collaboration and hopefully that's something they take back to their institutes and allows them to do commercialisation with a bit more experience than they had before. But when you think about it, that also benefits us in the long term because it means next time we're talking with those researchers or maybe we're talking with commercialisation professionals from a different institute but a part of that collaboration who've been across some of those discussions they'll be able to say aha I remember there was something like that came out of the TKI I'm gonna go and have a chat to the people there and maybe that's going to speed up what I'm doing here or I can learn some of those pitfalls things tips for new players so by having that collaborative approach we're really aiming to support the whole ecosystem in which we operate as we mentioned that very small niche that we think is Mm. huge By having that collaborative approach, it is designed to be win-win. It is designed to support those institutes who are a part of it. We work closely with state governments, so looking at, okay, state governments have initiatives that they want to be delivering on. Is that something we can be a part of and help them, which is helping our ecosystem? So it's all very symbiotic. Mm. And the other thing is we have training programs, so we've got an internship program. And that allows people to come from those member institutes, come and work at Brandon for a while, understand what we look for. They take that knowledge back to their institutes. And we have other areas of impact that focus, for example, gender equality. We recognise that both science and finance have an imbalance in gender. And we think about, okay, what can we do to try and improve that? For example, with our internship program, that's we've been running that, I think, for well over a decade now. And it's pretty bang on 50-50 of males and females that have come through that. And we're looking at that going, okay, well, hopefully if we can aim for 50-50 with our internship program, hopefully that then contributes to career progression for people when they go back into that research community. We support a program called Wild for STEM, which is a program to support women in leadership and director's roles and looking at what can we do to try and do something about the underrepresentation of women on Australian biotech boards and in our community. And all of these things benefit us as well. We will all do better if we have better gender equality. Absolutely. So those are the types of things where we're looking to have the impact. So it's not just financial returns. It's, okay, how are we having, in that case, social impact returns? And so a little bit earlier in the conversation, we are talking about some of those deal breakers and what might cause a conversation to perhaps go down another path. But I'm keen to understand from your side how you might measure success or what success looks like in some of these investments. Can you talk me through some of that? Yes, absolutely. So the easy one is financial success. Mm. And we absolutely 
measure ourselves on our financial success. So those are the types of things you'd be measuring your financial success on with your super statement. How's it grown over time? So that's kind of the easy one in terms of social and governance and environmental impact. We do measure those returns. So we've got five areas of focus that we've used the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals to help us prioritise those focus. So there's a good health and wellbeing. We've got gender equality, decent work and economic growth, industry, innovation and infrastructure and their partnerships. And we actually do measure a number of metrics around each of those areas and we share those with our stakeholders for how we're tracking. So for good health and wellbeing, for example, it's things like how many patients have benefited from the technologies that we've invested in, the gender equality, it's things like what's the gender makeup of boards on our portfolio companies and things like that. We have a number of metrics and we are actually very focused. I think it's because we've all got science backgrounds. We're focused on that evidence rather than just anecdotes. So our approach to impact is saying, okay, let's get some tangible measures of what that impact is. As you're saying that, I'm thinking too, if you've got such industry expertise as part of what you do within brand and plus that high bar for having a conversation go through to completion and investment, but then also aligning it with all these measurable indicators of impact, I'd imagine then for an organization that makes it through the other end, it's almost if they've been through that with Brandon, then it's, it's, <laughs> it provides a, <laughs> provides a bit of a tick, doesn't it? So there's a lot there for an organization to go through, but it's a good thing to come yeah. out the other side of it. That's it. And we do the metrics that we're collecting. A lot of that is from our portfolio. So yeah. we do expect our portfolio companies to report on these things in the same way that they report on their financial outcomes. Yeah, and I think that's the way the industry is going. There's been a lot of work from large number of organisations around getting consolidation of language around how we measure impact. For example, there's the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, which is looking at, in the same way that you have financial accounting standards, so that if you get a financial statement, you know what's going to be on it. If there are reports of sustainability outcomes, it will be reported in the same way. So this is all developing over time and I think we'll get to the point where, especially with the things happening in climate change, where if you're reporting on your climate action, what you're doing about climate change, that it's consistent and we'll move away from greenwashing and green hushing. But I think there's a long way to go. Mm. So we're trying to make sure our companies are positioned to be able to take on those challenges and also if they're looking to position themselves for further investment where, for example, if they've got European investors who are far more focused on these type of outcomes, that to make sure that they can actually be ready for that. Mm. It's a really important role. Starting to wind out the conversation, thinking about people who might be interested in learning more about or participating in the life sciences sector, even just before we get into resources and things, I'm just reflecting mm -hmm. on some of the things even I've taken out of some of the examples you provided earlier of some of those organizations that managed to progress through and have some success to tell. You pointed to some examples around the specific problems that they were solving from the surgeon side or in the clinical trial space that there was some fortune or however it was positioned in terms of being able to fast track some of those that steps, which might otherwise be a really long process. And I think you, you touched on something that meant that the regulatory process would be a little bit more straightforward. So 
I'm getting the sense that some of these indicators around trials and the regulatory process and solving real clinical problems, these would be things if I was looking to understand if an organization was any good, in inverted commas, in the life sciences space, that you kind of be diving into these areas. Am I kind of on the right path there? I tell you what, the Oz Biotech website is a great resource. And the, actually, the MTP Connect website has some great resources. I think the Oz Biotech has a guide for investing that talks about all of these areas in more detail, mm. uh, which I think is pretty helpful. And I think if people are at the point of saying, this all sounds interesting, how do I learn more about the industry? I think those type of industry body resources are a really great place to start. Amazing. Because it's the thick booklet that you're going through. <laughs> it's not a, not a list of five bullet points. Mm. And lastly, Melissa, for those that want to learn more about brand and capital, what should they do? So the easy way would be perhaps to follow us on LinkedIn and get all our updates there. We also provide updates on our portfolio companies, which are doing really exciting things. And then if you want to learn more about our portfolio companies, you could go to the Brand and Biocatalyst website and you'll see links for all our companies in the portfolio. A lot more to dive into there. Look, Melissa, I really appreciate you taking us through that understanding more about brand and capital in the space around impact investing and sharing some examples and hopefully some great insights for those that want to learn more. Thank you so much for your time. Absolute pleasure, Peter. Thank you for having me.